we had business to take care of. My friend of 50 years uh, passed away, and I was honored to be able to uh, do his funeral, uh, do a tribute to him, and also for only the second time uh, since I've been preaching, uh, preach in my hometown. So it was a good thing. If you will, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. That's what we will be taking a look at today. It says in Ecclesiastes, there is a time, appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under the sun or under the heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What benefit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of mankind with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every person who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor this is a gift from God. Know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it. And God has worked that people will fear him. That which is, is what has already been. That which has already been, God seeks what has passed by. If you will, pray with me. Lord, we want to talk about your timing today. We want to talk about how your, your timing is appropriate and right and just and final. Lord, as we, as we look at your scriptures, help us to learn what you want us to learn and discern what is necessary for us as we do live out our time here in this world. In Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15, Solomon tells us that life is really a matter of timing. For timing is everything. And this should be evident to all of us. I'm not sure about you, but I know that in our house, we have several clocks to remind us what time it is. We also in our house have many calendars uh, throughout it so that we will know what day it is. Many of us carry a timepiece attached to our wrist uh, that lets us know that time is getting away from us. And time indicators are built into our smartphones, our tablets, and our laptops. 
all with alarms to let us know when the next appointment is for each of us. You see, time is important, and timing is everything. And if timing is everything, how should we live? In these 15 verses that we look at today, I believe that we can discover four concise urgings on how to live to the fullest. Because that's what we want, isn't it? We want to make the most of the time that we have. In verses 1 through 8, I believe that what is shouting out from each of these couplets uh, that are in this poem, God is telling us to expect change. In the first section, Solomon makes a persuasive case about the brevity of life. And it's customary in Ecclesiastes, Solomon begins the section by stating a proposition. And in verse 1 he says there is an appointed time for everything and there is a time for every event under heaven. The key word in this section is time and it is used 30 times in section uh, in, in this verse 3, 1 through 8. But there are three insights worth noting in the first verse alone. First, Solomon is not going to be making judgments on the topics that follow in verses 2 through 8. He is merely recording the events that occur under heaven. He's not saying these are good and these are bad or these are horrible. You're not going to like this. But what he's saying, this is what's going to happen. Solomon built his argument upon the word appointed. The events of our lives do not randomly happen by chance. God has purpose in everything that happens. Solomon uses an unusual word in, uh, that is translated event. The word actually conve uh, uh, conveys an idea of delight. By using the word delight instead of one of the standard nouns, he implies that there is a good sense that one experiences uh, or one experiences by fitting into a given event at the right time. In other words, there is a sense of success based on appropriate timing, even if the activity by its nature is not delightful. Again, what we have to remember about the lives that we live right now, that timing is everything. Now listen to the words that actually happen here in verse 8. Here, they have to do with affections and their, their consequences. Solomon writes, a time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And at first, these uh, words uh, can be hard to understand. We all know that there is a time to love. We should, we should be all about love because Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How is that? How are people going to know who we are or whose we are if we love one another? But see, Solomon also in here says that there is a time to hate. And I know mothers everywhere right now are closing off the ears of their young children because we do not let our children say the hate word, ever. 
folks this morning, I'm going to tell you that even Jesus hated. He hated sin. He hated sin's mastery over human souls. He hated the wake of its destruction. And so we must learn how to hate that which is evil without hating the people who are evil. We may hate the act of abortion. Now, I want to say, uh, this is actually placed in here before Roe v. Wade came up. This is, this is, this, this is not out of context. I didn't throw this in here for today especially. We may hate the act of abortion, but we have compassion on both the aborted and the aborting. We may hate the ravages of alcohol, but love those who struggle with alcoholism, and we want to do whatever we can to help them. I believe that we can hate death. You know, as, uh, as we see the void and the separation it causes in life, we can hate the hurt that it causes and the tears, the tears that burn in our eyes as we are grieving. But again, Scripture has the salve to heal that wound. Paul said as he talked to believers in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? See, death of a loved one hurts. It hurts right now. But we know that the reward is later when we will be reconnected with them because of Christ. Just to summarize a little bit there, the pain is real today. And we can hate it as it touches us. But we can have peace in knowing that the pain of separation is only temporary. And so, our second section here is all about accepting limitations. You see, what we have to do is understand that we don't get to operate free and nilly-willy all over the board, that God is in control. Solomon writes here, what profit is there for the worker from that in which he toils? The section ends with the same rhetorical question uh, proposed in Ecclesiastes 1.3, and the rhetorical question is an example of a negative affirmation expecting a negative answer. So when God or Solomon asks the question, what profit is there for the worker from that in which he toils? The answer is mankind gains nothing from the toil. But as, as I say that, of course, remember, as Solomon is preaching this, he's at the end of his life, he's in a negative mode, and as he is, is saying these things, uh, he, is, he is healing himself as he goes through Ecclesiastes. So what does it mean, mankind gains nothing from his toil? You see, any profit or advantage that man might gain from his toil is nullified by his ignorance of divine providence. You see, I might think I know what I want, that I know what I can do. I, I have all this knowledge that is earth-based and earth-bound, but the fact of the matter is I don't know what the big picture that God has to offer really is. You see, we say to ourselves, why should I work so hard 
when it's all going to be destroyed? Why get married when you just end up fighting and hurting one another? Why have a child and deal with the stress and the disappointment that it might bring? Now, these are all good questions, and questions, I might add, that I have heard in the last 22 years in ministry. These are good questions. And the great philosopher, Jim Carrey, said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Solomon continues in 3, 10 through 11 with these words. I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. The word everything in 3.11 resumes everything in 3.1. The point of 3.11 is that God makes everything, even events that occur through human agency, happen in their proper time. Yet what this verse is saying is that we don't always understand his purposes. And as we try to understand this, this thing that Solomon is saying, it brings up questions in our hearts and in our minds. Why was I born this way? Why did my father or mother treat me that way? Why did you take my friend away from me before I was through with my friend. That was a little personal there, by the way. Because that leads to the question, why am I missing out on the blessings that I would have had with him or her or all of these people? See, our problem is that we focus our attention on the wrong things. We see the fuzzy, ugly cocoon And then, lo and behold, God plans and sets forth in motion the butterfly. We see the painful, awful process. God is producing the value of the product. We see today, God is working on forever. We get caught up in the wrapping, but he focuses on the gift, the substance that is deep down and inside. We look at the external God emphasizes the internal. You see, God makes everything beautiful in its time. He makes everything beautiful in its time, including your loss, your hospital experience, your failures, your brokenness, your battles, your fragmented dreams, your lost romance, your heartache, or your illness. Yes, even a terminal illness. Whatever you're going through, God is making beautiful in the grand schemes of things. He makes it beautiful in its time, and without him, life is purposeless and profitless and miserable and meaningless. With him, it will ultimately make sense. Maybe not now, but in the future. 
Solomon also says that God has set eternity into the hearts of mankind, knowing that gives purpose to life. The phrase eternity in their hearts means that God has placed a big question mark deep in every man's soul. We should be asking the question, what is the meaning of life? God intended us to ask that question. Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal. That is, this world is not all that there is for us to experience. Our third point is this, in verses 12 and 13, that is, enjoy life. Solomon says one of the greatest responses to this life is to make the most of it. Not in a self-indulgent sense, but in a spiritual sense. We enjoy life by including God in all that we do and being filled with joy. Solomon declares, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks and sees good in all his labor, it is a gift of God. Brothers and sisters, biblical faith is a call to joy, to enjoy all the good of the world that God has to offer. What is it, what is it that God wants us to experience? Family and friends and fellowship with one another, spending time with one another. Another great philosopher, Ben Franklin, said this, or actually asked this. He said, do you love life? And his answer is this, then do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. I was reminded this week that life can throw us curves, and then the unexpected happens. Do not forget to do the things you like to do with the people you like to do it with. Did you catch that one? Don't forget to do the things you like to do with the people you like to do it with. Don't forget the ones that you're close to. Eat ice cream, watch a movie, play in the rain with your kids or your grandkids or your cousin's kids or whoever's kids you're close to. And, and guys, this one's for you. Take your wife out to a nice dinner this week. Be a wise steward of your time. There's no need to be extravagant, but make the most of your days on this earth. In verses 14 and 15, as Solomon is concluding this section, he makes one thing quite evident, and that is to fear God. Solomon closes the passage with these words, and starting in verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take from it, for God has so worked that men should fear him. That which has been already and that which ha will be has already been, for God seeks what has been or has, has passed by. As we look at this, what we understand is that God's work is permanent and complete. Everything that God does is awe-inspiring. 
And that is why Solomon says that we should fear God. The fear of God is one of the key themes in Ecclesiastes and throughout the Bible. The phrase fear God or fear of the Lord appear over a hundred times in the Bible. And the concept does not mean or refer to a paralyzing terror, but rather a commitment of the total being to trust in believing the living God. In an article in Christianity Today, William D. Eisenhower said this, Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different that is, this is from the biblical position that God is far scarier than the world. You catch that? God is scarier than the world. We think of, of the world being the biggest threat to us, but no, no, not believing in God is the biggest threat. So how different is this? So we assume that the world is the ultimate threat. We give it unwarranted power for, in truth, the world's threats are only temporary. When we expect God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce God to the equal of the world. And folks, my God is king. My God is the ruler. My God's in charge. My God's in control. And my God is the one that created everything and will end it when it's time when it's appropriate in its time. <clears throat> Eisenhower continues and says, As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. You see, God rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me back up again. He sits in judgment of my sin, but forgives me nevertheless. What the Bible tells us is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But folks, today what I want to tell you is love from the Lord is its completion. See, God is asking us to believe in him. But more than that, God is saying, trust me, that even though you may have had a bad experience, even though you've had a bad illness, I forgot to turn the announcements off on my phone. Even even though you may think that you just got a bad rap in a bad place in life, the fact of the matter is God loves you. That God loves you so much that he sent his one and only sin to make sure that you were saved. He sent his son to a cross a cross, and I can only imagine in the first century as the kangaroo court was, was starting to happen, as Jesus is walking the path of the cross, all of his disciples thinking what a bad thing this is. 
This is the worst thing that could ever happen. We gave up our jobs. We gave up our homes. We gave up all that we had, and now it is just going to be concluded with a cross, and then nothing else will ever happen. Praise be to God that the story did not end there. Praise be to God that what God was doing there was something that we providentially couldn't understand. That salvation of mankind was tied to the cross of Jesus Christ. And that if you want to join in and find that salvation, you have to experience the death like Jesus did on that cross. In Romans 6, uh, 4 and following, what he says is, you must actually go down to the war, uh, to the, the, the grave of baptism so that you can be resurrected up into newness of life. And again, the Christ killers. And a lot of times as we look at Acts, the book of Acts, prior to Acts 2.36, we see the Jews there as the Christ killers because they are pushing Jesus toward the cross. But folks, as I mentioned Christ killers today, I'm talking about you and me. You see, it's our sin, it's their sin, our sin, and everyone's sin that pushed Jesus to the cross. God saves us, the Christ killers. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Can you imagine? You're responsible. You're the one that caused the threat. You're the one that that posed and put Jesus in that position and that Jesus knowingly knew that you had put him in that position, he went anyway because he wanted what was best for you. He could see that it was the appointed time for your salvation and for it to be made available to you. Thanks for listening today. And what we want to do now is give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe you have not responded to the call of Christ, and maybe you have not actually become saved. You have not gone through the process of asking forgiveness, of being baptized. We have water in the baptistry today that's ready for you. Also, there's a possibility that right now you have fallen away from God or in your, your own thoughts and prayers and, and in your struggles you're saying, I am not worthy of God. Good news, none of us are. God wants you to repent also. And so right now we are going to have a song uh, by Eric and that song is going to, to give us an opportunity to reflect on our lives and make changes and move forward as we go in life. So if you will, let us stand, let us sing.